Welcome to Fringe with Benefits, episode 79. I know it's been a hot minute, guys, but I'm back to take on all of our concerns and inquiries about interesting topics, both banned and controversial. In case you aren't familiar, I'm Stacy, your host of Fringe with Benefits podcast, and I'm your one-stop shop for paranormal, conspiracy-related, and even some true crime strangeness. I come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Now let's get on with it. Welcome back to my favorite segment of Stacy's Socials. This week we're going to talk about all kinds of crazy stuff. And I think, you know, I think we're going to stay away from the Alex Jones thing, even though I want to talk about it a little bit. Like, the precedent being set that somebody is fined however many billions of dollars that he was fined for, that's that's nuts. That's nuts because that's a violation of our constitutional First Amendment. But let's start with, I know we talked back about, I called him Alex Murdoch. Now, I guess his name is pronounced Alec Murdoch, right? So I mispronounced it, and I really totally didn't even scratch the surface of the weirdness with this family, nor the body count. But for an in-depth look at this privileged elitist family and what they've gotten away with, go check out the podcast, The Murdoch Murders with Mandy Matney. She's doing a phenomenal investigative reporting job on this entire crazy case because there's a lot going on and a lot of people have died and it, and I don't know if you remember but it was the guy whose wife and son were shot and killed and he also like staged his own carjacking nuts crazy the first thing I want to talk about is this potentiality for aerosolized vaccines let's get into it Conventional farmers, if they want to carpet bomb a crop field with insecticides to kill insects, they spray the field with toxic chemicals, right? Chemicals are absorbed by the insects and go to work killing their nervous systems or circulatory systems before millions of insects die suddenly. They can be sprayed from low-altitude aircraft in the exactly the same way melathion was sprayed on populations to presumably control mosquitoes and that overhyped Zika virus. Remember that? A recent article from Eugippius, a plague chronicle, reveals that Bill Gates' associated researchers are now pushing for COVID nasal vaccines that could theoretically be sprayed onto populations and inhaled without individual knowledge or consent. Eric Topol and saleswoman Akiko Awasaki plug mRNA nasal spray hocus pocus and demand second Operation War Speed to further mess with billions of human beings' immune systems. The website writes, Oligarchic support for nasal spray vaccines proceeds primarily from the beleaguered mind of Bill Gates, who was quietly disappointed in the performance of the mRNA elixirs and now places the better part of his hope in masking. Topol is just a mentally vacant corona brigadier, but Iwasaki is co-founder of the pharmaceutical startup RGI Immune, or RIG Immune, which has received $2 million from the Gates Foundation to develop novel innate immune activators to protect against infectious diseases that disproportionately impact the developing world. She's also co-founded with Zanato Bio, who is trying to come up with nanoparticles that won't kill you when you inhale them. Now, lots of alternative news and reporters 
have documented with laboratory tests these blood clots and that they are self-assembling biostructures that grow in size until they block the blood flow and kill the victim. And according to this eugenicist crap and these globalist scumbags that control all the wealth, all the real estate, all the everything, they see us as parasites that, that use too many of the resources like water and land and energy, but that we're also polluting the oceans with plastics, destroying ecosystems, and contributing nothing to the future of human civilization. Therefore, they feel that we must be exterminated. But how do we convince the masses that they aren't being exterminated as they line up for extermination injections or poisons or foodstuffs that's got bad stuff in it, carcinogens and stuff of the like? To achieve this with this particular um, jabberwocky, as they like to call it, they were pushed by doctors, journalists, government authorities, big tech, employers, schools, and it was in contradiction to any real supporting science. In fact, they are starting to put the mRNA technology in the flu shots, and that's why they're really pushing for people to get the flu shots. And they've actually engineered a combination vaccine that's got the COVID vax and the flu shot all in one because it's super convenient, right? Well, I'm not getting either one of them, and I really, really hope that none of my listeners do. I think if you're listening to me, you're probably not going to. Let's go forward to Mary Holland of the Children's Health Defense is calling for global prosecutions against those who are perpetrating these crimes against humanity. She said, tragically, in the last two and a half years, we have witnessed a global assault on the Nuremberg Code. Governments, medical establishments, and universities, and the media have violated the very first principle and other principles of the Code's 10 points. They have coerced people into being human guinea pigs. Those who have intentionally, knowingly, and maliciously violated the principles of the Nuremberg Code must be punished, and they must be called out, prosecuted, and punished for crimes against humanity. Let's move on to informedchoicewashington.org data. The second half of November 10th, the 2022 High Wire featuring James Thorpe, MD, He's a 43-year obstetrician and high-risk pregnancy expert. He discusses the rise in fetal deaths after these shots. Also, Michelle Gershman, a nurse in the maternity ward of, the Central, of a Central California hospital, presented the following internal email concerning stillborn babies. It's dated September 8, 2022. It says, Good morning, everyone. Well, it seems as though the increase of the demise patients that we're seeing is going to continue. There were 22 demises in August. Demises are deaths, in case you didn't know. She goes on to say, which ties the record of number of demises in July 2021. And so far in September, there have been seven, and it's only the eighth day of the month. Now, these statistics include redacted, so you can't see all of them. And some of them have gone through the EDs and the ORs. That's the emergency departments in the operation rooms. But there have still been so many in our department. It's a lot of work for you as the bedside RNs, and it's a lot of work for me. Demises have taken a lot of time away from other groups of patients I serve, so I hope this trend doesn't continue indefinitely. I know of a few more that are scheduled to deliver in the week ahead, so unfortunately the process is going to be very familiar with all of you. Once again, I do appreciate the time and the attention you give to the patients. When I follow up with them, they remember your names and the way you help them get through a difficult time. 
end quote. After receiving the email, Gershman said she could not work for the first half of her shift. Okay, so let's let's go back. That is a that is the email was from James Thorpe, the doctor, the OB, and it was the nurse that received the email. So that makes sense. Now, the vaccine adverse event reporting recording system VAERS from the CDC shows 148 stillborn deaths following the shots. Informed Choice Washington President Bernadette Pajir noticed that the nurse's email mentioned 51 stillbirths in her one California hospital in just three of the months between July of 2021 and September of 2022. If any of those women had received the COVID shot, the stillbirth should have been reported to VAERS, and that's the law. Whether or not the medical provider thinks the shot caused the adverse reaction, the law requires the event to be reported. And yet, in all of California so far... VAERS just shows seven stillbirths following the receipt of a shot. This is another example of extreme underreporting of that flawed system. There's also going to be a link for all these resources and these reports that I'm going to read to you following now. A 31-year-old's onset began 21, or I'm sorry, a 31-year-old's onset began two days after taking the first dose of Pfizer on May 28, 2021. Below is the submitted write-up to VAERS. I was pregnant with a baby boy, and the due date was 9-14-2021. I took my first vaccine of Pfizer-BioNTech, lot number EW0175, on 5-28-2021. On 5-30, I started feeling shortness of breath and soreness on both upper arms on the afternoon. The shortness of breath lasted several hours and ended before I went to bed on 5-30. The soreness on my arms lasted more than 12 hours till the afternoon of 5.31. I did not take any medicine. No other obvious reactions after the night of 5.31-2021. However, I started to feel fewer activities of the baby, fewer than five days after the vaccination. On 6.8, I went to the hospital and took an ultrasound to check the status of the baby for the concern of no feeling of baby movement. The examined results were read by my OB doctor as everything normal with the baby with a normal high amount of amniotic fluid that makes mom feel less movement. We did see the baby move, but he was less active than what we saw in the ultrasound before around 20-week gestation. Another thing noticeable is that the baby did not practice breathing during the 45-minute ultrasound. The OB read it as normal not to see it so frequently frequently on the 26-week gestation. On the evening of 6-11, I went to have an emergency care as I could not feel the baby's movement. The doctors confirmed that my baby boy's heart stopped beating and the death time was within two to three days. So that would have been um, between June 15th and June 17th. I was hospitalized to do labor induction. I took oral misoprostol for inducing the labor. Three times, two pills the first time, three pills the second and third time. I took Tylenol and ibuprofen for the fever caused by it. I took epidural around 1 p.m. of 6.16 for anesthesia, and the baby came out around 5 p.m. of 6.16 and identified a stillbirth. On 7.16, I took my second dose of Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine lot EW0191. I am in observation of my reaction. The next one, VAERS ID 1814238. A 34-year-old's onset began 197 days after taking the second Pfizer dose on April 1st, 2021. This is the write-up below. 
Baby born, stillborn to vaccinated mother. Was pregnant at start of second trimester when vaccine was received. Pregnancy seemed to progress uncomplicated. Due date was October 8th, 2021. Baby was moving around as had heartbeat on October 8th, 2021. A scheduled C-section was set for October 15th. Upon arrival to hospital for scheduled C-section, the baby was found to have no heartbeat and was born stillborn. Nothing visibly wrong with the baby girl. No cord wrapped around neck, no obvious trauma or deformities not viable to life. VAERS ID 1914564. A 28-year-old's onset began 23 days after taking a second Pfizer dose on May 5, 2021. This is the write-up. Pregnancy 1, chemical pregnancy 5 week, 5th week, miscarriage, pregnancy 2, congenital disorder, Edwards syndrome, stillbirth at 20 weeks. And then we've got two deaths in the Washington in Washington following the COVID-19 two bivalent shot. VAERS shows 61 deaths following these shots. One is the death of an 83-year-old female whose onset began one day after taking the fourth dose on September 13, 2022. The submitted write-up to VAERS read, My mom died the next morning after administration of the bivalent vaccine. VAERS ID 2479750. The death was a 77-year-old male whose onset began one day after taking a third dose of the Pfizer shot on October 12, 2022. The only word that was used in the submitted write-up was death. And it really goes on. I'm sorry to be such a bummer, but I really think that it's important that we talk about this. VAERS also shows 207 Washington deaths from the jabs, not including the bivalent reported deaths. On November 1, 2022, the issue of the Informed Choice Washington News and Views ran a story on the Port Townsend School District holding at October 29th COVID-19 shot clinic for students at the Jefferson County Fairgrounds. At the November 3rd Port Townsend School Board meeting following the fair, the board mentioned the trunk or treat was used to provide an easy way for parents and kids to get the COVID-19 shots and boosters. The school district did not have to pay for the shots. The state government did. It's baffling, said Informed Choice Washington member Bob Runnels. How the Department of Health feels the need to be a hal- use a Halloween theme to entice families to get the shots they are freely available. It's also offensive that tax dollars were used to conduct this redundant event. It seemed the department had extra resources, staff shots, funds to continue marketing the shots that not too many people want. Another parent called the event highly disturbing. And yet, the event ironically reflects the ghoulish nature of public health today. They wear disguises of respectability, use luring language, offer bribes and rewards, and when those fail, resort to punishment, like exclusions. It would be funny if the apples they are offering weren't poisoned. In the beginning, when the shots first came out, you can almost forgive them for claiming to be safe, but now? How spellbound do you have to be not to see that these shots are utter failures and worth less than useless? After all this stuff has come out, they're actually doing studies on what these adverse reactions are like and how many people are affected. They've admitted that they could be potentially dangerous and that there's been deaths and all kinds of conditions. I got an email from my medical insurance that was offering me, I think, a $100 Amazon gift card to go get the first of the series. And I just couldn't believe it. So I recorded myself listening to it and I put it on my YouTube, my Rumble, and my BitChute. If you want to go check it out, Golden Valkyrie. 
And it's just mind blowing to me that they're still pushing an experimental vaccine that is harmful. And they put it on the schedule for the schools in California. I know Washington's next and you should join Informed Choice Washington if you want to be informed of that. Next is an article in Futurism. This is crazy, crazy weird. Oculus founder and defense contractor, <laughs> Palmer Lucky, has built a VR headset that if the wearer's avatar dies in the game, it actually blows up the user's head with explosive charge modules. And this is a commemoration of the anime Sword Art Online, I guess. Lucky isn't just some basic programmer. He's widely considered the father of modern VR. Tech he has built is currently serving as the foundation for Facebook CEO and um, they say wannabe deity Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse and combines his VR wizardry with the reality he now makes expensive weapons for a living. Toss in the fact that he's been vocal about wanting to make something like this happen for a while. He said, the good news is, is that we're halfway to making a true nerve gear. The bad news is that so far I've only figured out the half that kills you. The perfect VR half of the equation is still many years out. The explosive charges in the headset, he says, are tied to a narrow band photo sensor that can detect when the screen flashes red at a specific frequency. When an appropriate game over screen is displayed, the charges fire, instantly destroying the brain of the user. He admits that he hasn't yet had the balls to actually try the headset on. He said the equipment is still too volatile. He said at this point, it's just a piece of office art, a thought-provoking reminder of unexplored avenues in game design. It is also, as far as I know, the first nonfiction example of a VR device that can actually kill the user. It won't be the last. Isn't that ominous? That's crazy to me. Now, eventually it was going to be done, and this guy seems to be pretty interesting. You should check him out. <laughs> His name is uh, Palmer Lucky. Check him out. Blow your mind. And he's a he works for a defense contractor. Whew. Okay. This next article, I'm not going to give it very much time to accept to say that I see ridiculous shit like this all the time. And anyone who is consuming this nonsense has a screw loose and needs to evaluate their brain food. It's a People Magazine article, which they're pretty bad as it is. But it's the 90 Day Fiance, which I've only seen the snippets of. I guess this chick waxes her nasty fiance's back that is an article that's like in the headlines who consumes this bullshit and what is wrong with you okay next new york post tim go who hosted the morning show radio gen x was presenting from his home 35 miles away from the radio station's headquarters in ispwich east england his broadcast was suddenly cut mid-song around 7.50, and the 55-year-old died, suffered a suspected heart attack. And so, you know, with these crazy articles, you kind of want to see what people are saying, okay? And this kind of shit goes on and on. So Gregory comments, Israeli study from May 22 found that cardiac arrest among people under 40 increased during the vaccine rollout. Kaiser Permanente discovered that people who are triple vaccinated not only are more likely to be infected with COVID-19, they are more likely to suffer severe illness and die from the disease. 
After 150 days, the vaccine effectiveness of three doses of Moderna turns negative. In the Kaiser Permanente study, yet another study showing statistically significant negative Pfizer shot efficacy in 16 and 17 year olds. New England Journal of Medicine study, a degree of protection confirmed conferred by pervious infection against systematic Omicron infection persists after one year while efficacy of two shots nosedives into negative territory after six months. Potential negative Moderna shot efficacy reported in obese children six months to five years of age. I don't know how an obese kid could be six months, but okay. These are from pages 114 and 152 of report from the FDA. Study in JAMA J-A-M-A seems to show negative vaccine effectiveness for symptomatic COVID infection after about four months post-second dose in age 12 to 15. Excessive deaths in UK, Europe, and Australia are 15% above year average. That five-year average includes the COVID deaths in 2020. Only 3 or 4% of total deaths are COVID. The excess is unexplained. Deaths in Victoria, Australia are at a 13-year high for the month of August and well above the five-year average for the first eight months of the year. The excess are unexplained. And then we got a comment from Jay. This month, a British, a British actress, a Spanish rocker, a Haitian singer, an Artin Argentinian drummer, all while on stage. Remember, for every public personality, there's scores more, quite average Joes who never make the news. Depending on your carrot batch, it can be you next. Nothing to see here. The new normal is raw and raw deal. No matter which political way you learn, this should be the main election issue. Without bodily autonomy, you got nothing. Next, M. Wallister. I know a 16-year-old who now needs a cardiologist. How many people do you know? The Boondock Saint. My wife and I know six people who died suddenly in their sleep since 2021. The people who died ranged in age from 36 to 52 and all were healthy. And it goes on and on and on. You know, this shit is not over until the fat lady sings, and we know that. So pay attention, guys. Okay, another thing I want to talk about is a local story about a woman who calls 911 on her Apple Watch. Her husband buried her alive. Young Sok An, 42, was stabbed, duct taped, and buried alive in a shallow grave in the woods, but she dug herself out. She used her Apple Watch to call 911. Officials recovered the woman, informed the woman was kidnapped from her home by her own husband, Che Kyung An, 53, allegedly told her he would rather kill her than give her his retirement money. According to a Thurston County Superior Court filing, when Young Suk ultimately escaped and called the police, she had duct tape still wrapped around her neck, lower face, and ankles. He is facing charges of first-degree attempted murder, first-degree kidnapping, first-degree assault, and he has not yet been officially charged. He was booked into the county jail, and he's being held without bail. So <laughs> this was international news, pretty much. But I want you to Google Apple Watch Saves Life and see how many there are. This might be something that would be worth the investment, even if Big Brother's watching you and measuring your biological data, your physiological data. I don't give a shit if they know my heart rate, as long as it can't kill me, but it seems like the Apple Watch could potentially save more lives than it could harm. That's interesting. And last for Stacy's socials, I think. No, it's not last. It's one of the last things, but... <laughs> 
I don't know if you guys follow this guy. If you don't, you need to. Matt Wright, the he sounds like my friend Matt Wright from Naked and Afraid. Matt Wright, he's the crocodile wrangler. He grew up in the Australian outback in the wilds of Papua New Guinea. He's been around for quite a while, so check him out. He said that he was catching brown snakes since he was about six years old, pretty much day-to-day life in northern Australia. And despite the inherent dangers of his job, he's a conservationist who aims to protect these creatures from human threats while also keeping people from coming to harm. He said removing them and taking them out of their natural habitat isn't the most ideal situation, but unfortunately with human populations encroaching on their land, it's a necessary thing. If we don't do what we do, they will get shot. It's a dangerous job trying to catch these massive crocodiles and move them into areas where they're not going to be disturbed in the future. It's important these animals are 70, 80, 100 years old, and they have every right to be here. Unfortunately, there are a lot of farmers who think that they don't have every right to be there. So I'd rather try and move them instead of them getting killed. So they try to relocate these vulnerable crocodiles and dangerous but they also try to educate people around the world on the presence of these reptiles and maybe educate people on how to allow them to coexist in the same environment and in order to reduce the need for removals. Some of the largest crocodiles that Wright relocates pose a problem for, uh, for him and his team. He says sometimes if the croc is too big, you can't really move it from one place to another place because you're moving one problem from here to there. And when they're that big, all they do is cause another problem. They will upset the ecosystem, the natural balance in the area, because you already have alphas in the area you're relocating them to. He said among the options for these larger crocs is relocation to a park or sanctuary, but with smaller crocodiles, he moves them all the time without a problem. He said they're still trying to work out what the world's all about, and then you can move them. Sometimes in a particular crocodile that Wright has caught has turns up again in the same place. He tells the story of encountering one reptile he'd already captured and removed from the area three times. He said, I threw a net and the crocodile erupted from a water hole. I caught him in the same area a few years prior to that and a few years prior to that and a few years prior to that. I remember the last time I let him go, he didn't go into the water, but he wanted to come out and attack me and chase me into the jungle. I was like, geez, I don't know if this was the best idea letting that thing go again. He was always going back to the same area that he lived in year in and year out. And how he got back there had me stumped because he had to travel 100 miles to get back. Wright says that there are several things you need to factor in to ensure success when you're capturing a crocodile. He said, look at the terrain, the weather, the machinery you're using, whether you're going to set a trap. You don't need to just get get up one morning and say, I'm going to go catch a crocodile. It takes a few weeks of planning and understanding the movements of that crocodile. A lot of the time, if we don't have to set a trap, we'll go out and catch them by hand. He said, the most important thing to keep in mind, which is a no-brainer, is don't get bitten. He said he's never been bitten. He's got two arms and two legs. If you get bitten, you probably will lose one of them. He is very experienced at removing and relocating a wide range of dangerous animals, including wild buffalo and polar bears. He says he still feels fear when he's doing it. He said, when you're working with wildlife, If you don't have fear, you're not in touch with with what's going on. Fear gives you the edge on how to handle animals or anything. So the reason why he was in the news was because a 12-foot boat he was on in a shallow body of water at night had cornered a massive crocodile, and it literally attacked the boat, capsized it, threw everybody into the water. Luckily, no one was hurt, but 
dude is fascinating and he's got balls of steel. You got to go check him out. Okay, the last thing is another press release for Informed Washington. They're reporting from Epic Times. This is something we have heard over and over again in the past two years is medical professionals losing their license, losing their ability to practice, having lawsuits thrown against them. This one is in regards to a St. Louis chiropractor who's facing more than $500 billion in civil penalties through a federal lawsuit that alleges he profited from selling vitamin D and zinc products in violation of the C-19 Consumer Protection Act. The f- he says that the federal government is suing me for half a trillion dollars for telling people to take vitamins. His name is Dr. Eric Nepute. I hope I spelled Nepute. N-E-P-U-T-E. He said his case goes to trial in Missouri federal court in March. The FTC, Federal Trade Commission, filed the 27-page complaint in April of 2021. It alleges, among other things, that he profited from the online sale of vitamin D and zinc products during the public health emergency. Nepote, 41, is a licensed chiropractor, owner of Nepote Wellness Center in St. Louis. He also owns Quick Work, a limited liability company doing business as a wellness warrior. The government's complaint alleges that he, through social media and internet advertising, promoted and sold wellness warrior vitamin D and other products as drugs capable of treating or preventing you-know-what. Starting no later than June 2020, he began advertising a protocol that customers should follow to protect against, prevent, or treat it. This protocol, which has varied over time, advises consumers to take daily substantial quantities of emulsified vitamin 3 and zinc. The complaint also claimed that no published studies prove vitamin D protects against, treats, or prevents the thing. I don't know why I'm censoring myself because I've already said it a million times. So I guess according to this suit, Nepote's lack of factual or scientific basis for these claims are frequently accompanied by equally unsupported assertions regarding applicable, applicable science. In short, defendants are selling their products by disseminating information, exploiting fears uh, amid a pandemic, and posting a significant risk to public health and safety. What a crock of shit, right? However, the U.S. Centers of Disease Control and Prevention states vitamin D is essential for bone health as well as muscle and nerve function and helps the immune system fight off bacteria and viruses. Oops, FTC, maybe call the CDC next time, right? Despite numerous settlement offers and arbitration, Nepote has rejected any out-of-court resolution and feels confident his case is strong enough to go to trial. God, I hope he wins, man. He says the only reason they're coming after me and they said this is because I'm the first doctor they went after and they want to set a precedent. Very similar to the Alex Jones thing, right? They said they wouldn't stop until they had blood on their sword. And that's literally from the fe- uh, Federal Trade Commission's mouth. He said his vocal stance favoring vitamin D and zinc as immune boosters, including his public distribution of 2 million tablets during the pandemic at no charge, drew the federal government's attention. He was giving it away, people. As, as well as giving away the knowledge of how to prevent, treat, or protect your immune system, right? At the time, the government focused on the emergency authorized use of the vaccines in the, as the only course of safe and effective treatment of the disease. The FTC is pushing this because it's political. Nepute, Nepute. <laughs> Man, this poor guy, I'm butchering his name. That's what he told the Epic Times. I've spent... million defending myself. The only tactic they have is to drag this out, so I can't afford to take it to trial. 
Nepote's lawyer recently filed a motion to dismiss the case on summary judgment, including over 10 million alleged violations of the Consumer Protection Act of 2020 and 12 million violations of the FTC Act. Each violation carries a maximum of $43,792 civil penalty for a total of over $500 billion, exceeding the gross domestic product of Austria, Nigeria, and all but 25 nations, according to the motion. Frontline attorney Tom Renz of Ohio is his advisory counsel. He said the problem with this is it's wrongful prosecution because he didn't lie. He didn't commit fraud. He said that this would bolster your immune system, and it's true. Both vitamin D and zinc are well-known mechanisms for bolstering your immune system. This is simply going after him because he was outspoken about, outspoken about using vitamin D and zinc. And he didn't like the jab, and that's all it is. He had a big following, and they wanted to make an example out of him. There's no basis of law for them to go forward on this. None. Rents pointed to statements by Dr. Anthony Fauci, who said during an Instagram live stream that vitamin D does have an impact on your susceptibility to infection. So he said, so I would not mind recommending, and I do it myself, taking vitamin D supplements. September 2020, University of Chicago Medicine researchers published a report which found a link between vitamin D deficiency and COVID-19 infection. Vitamin D is important to the function of the immune system, and vitamin D supplements have previously been shown to lower the risk of viral respiratory tract infections, says the study's lead author, David Meltzer, chief of hospital medicine at U Chicago Medicine. Our statistical analysis suggests this may be true for the COVID-19 infection. Rent said, Anthony Fauci said you should use vitamin D. Why aren't they suing him? I want to know when the FTC is going after the vaccine companies and the officials promoting the lie that COVID-19's vaccines stop transmission. I want to know why it's okay for Anthony Fauci to say the vaccine stops transmission and even though he knew it was false at the time, and we could show he knew it was false. I have spent my entire life savings defending against the FTC lawsuit, Naput said. I just sold some property. I sold a car. I sold everything to defend myself. I could have taken a settlement and walked away, but that's not the right thing to do. What I'm talking about is nothing that's rocket science. What I've done is repeat medical literature and provide solutions for people who didn't feel they had a solution for anything. So let's look back at September 2009. The pharmaceutical manufacturer Pfizer agreed to pay a $2.3 billion settlement for making false claims to promote for drugs. This is the largest healthcare fraud settlement in the U.S. Department of Justice's history. And that's... That's what we can expect from Pfizer. For the accountability segment, let's talk about the mailbag. I will not add to this segment for each episode unless I have mail. Granted, I don't have a million downloads and listeners, but maybe someday my mailbag will be so full that I won't have time to go through them all. But that day has not arrived. I may also get rid of the accountability segment unless I have something to address. I think I can get by with that just fine. Sometimes it's just important to trim the fat and trying new things involve a lot of learning and making mistakes to determine what works and what doesn't. I'm always open to suggestions and what you'd like to hear. I may bring back the Dave Pauletti's articles from his Giants and Wild Men book. He has been doing Bigfoot 101 lessons on YouTube the Can-Am Missing Project channel, and he has been reading through some of those, and I'm telling you, they're mind-blowing, so check that out, but I, I might bring that back. 
I will be doing interviews and discussing some of the same weird and crazy stuff. This is just me kind of coming back and saying, hey, what's up? I will try to keep the content fresh and fun. I also noticed my energy is off sometimes and no one wants to listen to a low energy dullard. I will work on that. I also want you to check out Monkey Works and his flight path data points on YouTube. If you're interested in all the what's going on in the world and what's really going on, go check out Monkey Works. Business, follow me on all my socials. There's some new stuff on there. Go check it out. There's a Telegram link below. There's a Patreon. Not doing much there, but still there. Inward Survival, go visit InwardSurvival.com. Twitter is at Stacy Fringe. That's the one that needs some followers. Otherwise, you can find me at Golden Valkyrie. Drop the E on that platform. There is a Forbidden Clothes link. You can use the promo code Fringe if you want some crazy fuck the system threads. And if you have any mail for me, any supernatural ghost stories, strange occurrences, observations that you think are weird and anomalous, Mail me at fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Also, if you want to come on the show and be interviewed, you got enough to talk about, send me an email, fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. We have no interview this week, but we do have something kind of special. It's something that I really wanted to share. It's the creepiest thing that I've heard all year. Hollow Sky Podcast talked about it. There's a thread on Twitter about this AI software that can generate images. And what it does is it takes from everything on the internet and creates something. So I don't really totally understand the concept, but I'm going to read to you this thread. Now, I know Hollow Sky did this, but I know a lot of my listeners probably do not listen to Hollow Sky, which you totally should. It's a fun podcast, and they go through kind of the same stuff I do. They're a little more careful. (laughs) I like to tip the scales a little bit and be a little bit more edgy, but go check them out because they're awesome. So the thread is on Twitter and it's by Super Composite and it is dated for September 6th. I'm going to try to find the thread link and put it in the show notes so you guys can check this out. So this is what she says. I discovered this woman who I call Loeb. Okay, so the guys in Hollow Sky say Loeb. I'm going to say Loab. It's L-O-A-B. So let's start again. I discovered this woman who I call Loab in April. The AI reproduced her more easily than most celebrities. Her presence is persistent and she haunts every image she touches. Take a seat. This is a true horror story and veers sharply macabre. I'll explain negative prompt weights in case you don't know. With these, instead of creating an image of the text prompt, the AI tries to make an image look as different from the prompt as possible. This logo was the result of the negative weight, negatively weighed, weighted prompt Brando colon colon negative one. So they plug that in. So it's like the opposite, right? So it shows a picture of this logo. It says digital fantics or whatever he's okay she goes on to say i wondered is the opposite of that logo in turn going to be a picture of marlon brando i typed digita p-n-t-i-c-x digita p-n-t-i-c-s skyline logo colon colon negative one as a prompt so the colon colon negative one must be the the negative prompt thing so 
instead of pulling images that are exactly like what they're prompting, they're going to pull the exact inverse of that. I received these off-putting images, all of the same de devastated looking older woman with defined triangles of rosacea on her cheeks. My friend made this image of a hyper-compressed glass tunnel surrounded by angels in the style of Wes Anderson. I innocently combined this image with the original image of Loeb in an image prompt without text. For reasons we cannot fully explain, nightmares ensued. And then there's all these images. Fucking crazy. Goes on to say, through some kind of emergent statistical accident, something about this woman is adjacent to extremely gory and macabre imagery in the distribution of the AI's world knowledge. Since Loeb was discovered using negative prompt weights, her gestalt is made from a collection of traits that are equally far away from something, but her combined traits are still a cohesive concept for the AI, and almost all descendant images contain a recognizable Loeb. If you go into this thread and you see these images, it's just really, it's going to disturb you. It's going to blow your mind, and it's going to make you very suspicious about what kind of data this AI is pulling from and what is out there on the internet that all these awful photos come up, okay? And who is this Loab creature? And how is it that she kind of has the same setup every time we go? We've got these rosacea cheeks. And I showed this to my partner and he was really disturbed by it. He went through the thread and he was he kind of brainstorming. And he's like, you know, if this woman, you know, if or these images are pulled from everything that we've put on the internet, that means that there's probably a lot more pictures of murdered children on the internet. Because in a lot of these photos, there's all these dismembered child bodies. And it's bizarre, right? And another thing he pointed out is that it looks like she's got frostbite on her face, which is a really interesting observation so let's continue it's got an extreme gore warning the angel hallway plus loab also produced art with such copious gore that probably very few people want to see them but here are two i don't feel comfortable posting the most disturbing ones borderline snuff images of dismembered and screaming children there is something moving to me about these grotesque scenes and the desperation panic and sadness they convey Again, these are produced with other images as inputs and no text. They are the result of crossbreeding images of Loab with images of other things. So it seems like this character inserts itself into these images and then creates the most horrifying image that you could even think of. It's, it's pretty fucking disgusting and it's really scary. She goes on, the images that result from crossing Loab with other images can be turned can in turn be crossbred with other images. The AI can latch onto the idea of Loab so well that she can persist through generations of this type of crossbreeding without using the original image. Here's Loab as Kirby. And it's a, it's a picture of this Loab creature, woman, with these children. And it looks like the ceiling is leaking and there's materials falling from the ceiling. Looks like it's leaking kind of like the stuffing from a stuffed animal. And it looks like there's blood mixed with it and gore. It's really gross. Here's another one. Here's Loeb as a bee and Loeb celebrating Pride Month. Loeb can be recognizably transposed into many genres and contexts. Even when her red cheeks 
or other important features disappear, the low-ebbness of the images she has a hand in making is undeniable. She haunts the images, persists through generations, and overpowers other bits of the prompt because the AI is so easily optimizes towards her face. Combining low-ab with text prompts works great, too. Her signature rosacea cheeks even turn blue when I prompt for a Navi version of her from Avatar 2, The Way of Water. I started going kind of insane at this point. I had hundreds of low-ab images, and I was starting to combine her with three or four other images at once. Most of the horror images I post even outside of this thread are descendants of the low-ab lineage. Sometimes it takes more abstract forms. There is a website now dedicated to this, I would say, the first AI-generated cryptid. Or maybe it, it's like a combination of all the horrid, awful things that we have maybe because, you know, AI pulls from just not our internet. It pulls from the dark web, too. So when I say that maybe they are snuff images inserted into this, I'm being dead serious, and I'm probably being dead on. So she goes on, the concept of low-ebbness becomes more abstract to me. I would include her in prompts that I knew would almost distort her beyond recognition. After she disappeared from the image breeding lineage, she would sometimes reappear later down the line out of nowhere. So she was hiding. I was ripping low-ebb apart and putting her back together. She is an emergent island in the Latin space that we don't know how to locate with text queries. But for the AI, low-ebb was an equally strong point of convergence as a verbal concept, and really, it was usually stronger. The big lesson for me here with Loab is that image prompting can essentially be used as your custom vector to query the latent space. You can produce novel styles and characters that you literally discover. Negative prompt waiting can help you find emergent accidents too. There are a bunch of these characters on Twitter that you can follow that are AI-generated characters, and they're interesting. She goes on, the other lessons is that image prompts and later raw vectors and clip embeddings can be used as ad adversarial attacks, targeting weird stuff in the distribution. I think my process in itself constitutes art, but also reveals the AI's weakness for malicious use in other cases. By the way, Loab seems to be recognized extremely consistent with the Bluntworthy's days old implementation of image prompts for stable diffusion. She's everywhere, hiding. Good luck sleeping tonight. So Bluntworthy is Justin Pinkney on Twitter, and there is a copy of his tweet that says, Released my image variations version of Stable Diffusion. Get the code and models along with some basic instruction in my GitHub repo. And then there's, I, I don't really understand the lingo because I don't play with AI image creation. I don't get it. It's um, some of this stuff is like way over my head. She goes on, I'm going to continually update this thread with Loab influence content since I have at least a thousand images with her fingerprints on them. Check back for your daily Loab sighting. She finds everyone sooner or later. You just have to know where to look. And then uh, Loab, the first cryptid of the latent space. Perfect. Loab the ancient, a child of Loab is born, the pilgrimage of Loab, a mother always watches over her children. Loab is an LGBTQ icon. I'm going to be the Joker. I'm going to become the Joker if Loab truthers are going to be a thing now. And then it's just more and more Loab creations. And then there's a Loab freak, knife larva, genital horror warning, tinsel, chorus, accept Loab into your heart. 
Loeb adult stage gastropod underneath pain. It's and then it just goes on. It goes on and goes on. I will try to find the thread and add it so you can see some of these um, images if you're interested. But I'm I'm telling you that this has got to be one of the most mysterious things and creepiest things that I have seen thus far. It's very unsettling and it makes me wonder what the hell's out there in the interwebs that images like this could be generated because the AI will take from everything that's already existing on the internet that we put there. So we created her with with images that are already out there, already uploaded on the internet. And it makes me think, what kind of disgusting shit is on, on the dark web? I mean, we all can um, speculate about what people have put up there, but this is a huge red flag to what kind of sinister shit and macabre content can be generated through AI. And who is Loab? Does she truly exist inside the internet? It seems like she's been given existence. It seems like we've created her. And now that this has gotten an unbelievable amount of attention and her image is inserted into all of our brains, which are in its own right, a supercomputer. We've talked about tulpas before, slender man, creatures that we've given life to just by our thoughts and our perceptions. I mean, give that a thought for a second. What if these things actually exist on another density, another dimension, on another plane? Think about it. Hey, so since we live in an opposite world, Inward Survival School of Magic, we're going to talk about something that is not so great and more, more or less great. And that is something that you may have heard of called soft quitting what would you call it? Quiet quitting. I don't know if you've heard of this before, but I have I have noticed certain people that I've run across, you know, they put in very low effort and maybe this is a form of quiet quitting. So I kind of wanted to go through this and describe and maybe maybe you're doing this yourself, maybe you're seeing other people do this. Quiet quitting refers to doing the minimum requirement of one's job and putting in no extra time, effort or enthusiasm than you have to Put in. This has been driven largely by social media and it has emerged as a much publicized trend in the US and other places. Some observers have questioned how common it is and whether it's actually a new phenomenon. I don't think it's a new phenomenon. I think that this is something they just coined a term for it. September of 2022, Harvard Business Review aimed at explaining quiet quitting to worried executives. These professors, Anthony Klotz and Mark Bellino, said, quote, quiet quitters continue to fulfill their primary responsibilities, but they're less willing to engage in activities known as citizenship behaviors. They don't stay late, they don't show up early, and they do not attend anything that's not mandatory. The reaction of managers has been mixed. Some are tolerant because of the tight labor market and people's unwillingness to want to work because it's hard to replace people, at least for right now. And others have responded to it quietly or loudly firing employees who they see as slacking off. Quiet firing has become a buzz phrase in its own right. 
defined as making a job so unrewarding that the employee will feel compelled to resign. I've experienced this myself, and it sucks. I'd rather be fired than to quit. (laughs) So beyond the workplace, the term quiet quitting is now being applied to non-work aspects of people's lives, such as marriages and relationships. Like how awful to be in a relationship where somebody's already totally given up. You know they've given up. Now I know that this isn't a new thing. I know that people have probably been doing this for thousands of years. People just tend to, instead of growing the balls to say, hey, this isn't working, I want a different life, they just give low effort. And shit, we've all been there. We all know what that's like. But we also know that that's a miserable way to live. According to the Los Angeles Times, the first known use of this term, quiet quitting, was used by Brian Creeley. He's a Nashville-based corporate recruiter turned career coach. He invoked it Um, March of this last year in a video on TikTok and YouTube. Other writers trace the concept, though not the term, to China where a similar workplace phenomenon called lying flat has appeared. According to a Gallup survey of workers age 18 and older taken in June, quiet quitters make up at least 50% of the workforce or more. The percentage is particularly high among workers under age 35. The survey said that only 32% of workers came across as engaged while another 18% were disengaged, meaning that they made no secret of their job dissatisfaction. The remaining 50% could be classified as quiet quitters, people who are not especially engaged but didn't broadcast it. If those numbers are accurate, that's a stunning 68% of American job holders that are unhappy. So here's a couple of examples of people. Christy G., an uh, administrative assistant said, I do not interact with anything from work before seven or after 4.30, which is the time my office is open. I work in a corporate setting, so my tasks are not live for death. If someone asks for something, like maybe a file scan or something like that, at the end of the day, it can wait until the next day. Another person called Sarah M., a department manager, said that her priorities and values have changed since the onset of the pandemic. She says, I now leave my office at the end of the day not thinking about what I need to work on when I go home at night. I set boundaries for checking my emails and reaching out to coworkers during non-office hours. Most importantly, I do not feel any bit of anxiety when it comes to requesting time off, taking personal days, or taking especially sick time. Now this, either one of these gals, I don't think that they're experiencing or acting in a way of quiet quitting i think they're just putting up some boundaries between work and personal life my job on the other hand i i need to be there i do turn my ringer off at a at a certain time in the evening unless i'm waiting for a call because i can't be answering work calls when i'm trying to cook dinner or spending time with my family But there are times where I do make sure that I'm working seven days a week and sometimes past 8 or 9 p.m. if I need to. You do what you got to do, especially if you're self-employed. But if you work, you're, you know, a wage slave, they call them. Once that 9 to 5 clock goes off, you're done for the day and you shouldn't take that home with you. So what are bosses doing about this? Well, we went over that a little bit. A lot of people they kind of look at their own selves. Is this a leadership issue, they ask themselves? Is it something that they're doing? And I think that maybe sometimes this is the case, 
But since it, it really appears to be a widespread issue and all leaders can't be failing, could they? I don't think so. I mean, look at the Reddit thread anti-work. It's a pretty big one. A lot of people follow that. A lot of people follow it for entertainment. And it's just like off the walls what some of these people say and think. And look at the next generation's unwillingness to toughen up and work hard, even in moments of strife and dissatisfaction. It's almost a trend now to claim um, mental health issues or get a note from your doctor to say you can't deal with high-stress situations. I, I personally think that that is a cop-out because look at our, our police and our first responders and the stress they have to deal with on the job. They, we are meant to adapt to stressful situations. In fact, it's necessary for us to improve. That's where mental toughness comes from, is the ability to adapt to stressful situations. So I think that a lot of people, especially the younger generations, seem to be using, you know, laziness and inability to deal as an excuse to not work. Let me know what your thoughts are on this quiet quitting thing. You know, is, is that really the right way to be? I, we used to call that milk in the clock when I was younger. This is definitely not a school of magic skill to learn, but more of a, a, a school of magic skill to not participate in. It's not a skill at all. In fact, it's, uh, I think it's unethical. Our weekly Stoic is Confucius. He's one of my favorites. And he said, Our greatest glory is not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. To know what you know and what you do not know, that is true knowledge. It is easy to hate and it is difficult to love. This is how the whole scheme of things works. All good things are difficult to achieve and bad things are very easy to get. Now get out there and do some difficult things. Thank you.